the, what we were talking about, maybe the first thing uh, just to talk about a little bit today, how caught up are you guys on the reading? <laughs> sort of caught up? Does sort of caught up mean you read the mandible? Uh, did you look at any of the notes? Uh, <laughs> no. It's just more, it's more understanding. That's pretty, uh, pretty beefy reading. Pretty beefy reading? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, bees, they're hard, unless you've taken a bio class. Um, otherwise, yeah, they're just so, so unlike us, those bees. All right. <laughs> yeah, beefy reading. Nice. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, what about, did everyone read Marcel Moses' book, The Gift? Does, okay, so I'm going to do this trick that Dan Perlman taught me, which is I'm going to turn my back. So, I, And you should probably turn your back, too, because they don't trust grad students. And um, if, you, if you read the gift, if you did not read the gift, cough. Well, so everyone read it. Is that true? That's a trick. Why is that a trick? Oh, okay. The trick is I won't know. If you cough, I won't know who's coughing. But you can hear the direction. Yeah, but proximity. Well, that, yeah, but he's not going to tell me. I'll go in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> or you guys go outside. Oh, and then you can cough to your heart's content. Okay, let's try it. So you should read it. The Gift is like one of the three or four great works of anthropology of all time and is a founding work of modern anthropology. Anyone take anthropology classes? So would you take, Jimmy? I don't remember, but it was in my <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my roommate's an anthropology major. She recognized it immediately. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, would you take, Andrea? Intro to anthropology. Okay. So... What Mose was doing, and what's really interesting about what he was doing and why you should, it's not a long book, and it's really pretty fascinating. And what is fascinating about it is that he takes a practice which we recognize because any culture that you come from is a culture of gift giving. That is, all cultures have gifts. And if you think about it, the question, why are there gifts, is not, doesn't have an obvious answer. The idea of gift giving seems to be a human universal. It is a human universal. It's dem demonstrably a human universal. And it's something very familiar to us, and it's like our earliest memories have to do with gifts. They have to do with going to toy stores or birthday parties or getting gifts that we were thrilled by or getting gifts that we were disappointed by. Our earliest rebukes have to do with not being grateful enough. We hate writing thank you notes. I remember just that everything I got from my bar mitzvah was like 
totally not worth it because of all the thank you notes I had to write for gifts that were of no interest to me at all. They, they were like, like, like coffee table books about art and geography that I couldn't care less about at age 13, or now for that matter, and savings bonds, which looked pretty because they were, looked like money, but they weren't money. Do you guys know about savings bonds? Do you get them? I think they're, they're an incredibly bad investment, but it used to be they were done for gifts all the time because, do you, do you know about them? Does everyone, has anyone gotten a savings bond in this class as a gift? Did they thrill you, Andrea? Did they thrill you, Jimmy? At first. Look, it's the anthropology, people who took anthro courses who got savings bonds. That's fascinating. So if you want your kids to major in anthro, give them a lot of savings bonds. That's what we get from this. Okay, at first, what happened, Jimmy? Um, then I realized that it takes like a really long time to kick in, and it was only like $100. Bucks, so. Yeah. So you get a savings bond. It says $100 on it, but the $100, has it kicked in yet? I don't think so, no. Yeah. Yeah, so it's $100 like a decade down the road. So the gift giver gives you something that says, that looks really pretty because it's printed as a bond. It looks really pretty. It looks like money. It looks like even strange money, which might be really good because strange money might mean lots of money. And then it turns out that it's many years down the road. There's this other denomination on it, not how much it's worth, but when it will be worth that much, and when it will be worth that much is in some science fiction date in the future. And so what the giver of the savings bond does is gives a gift whose nominal value, that is the number, the $100, looks really high. That's a good gift, $100. But they get it at a huge discount because they're not paying $100 for a savings bond. They're paying whatever, $75, let's say. And so the gift looks bigger than it is, and it is a gift that is of a lot less value to the receiver than it seems to be. Then at some point you realize you can cash in the savings bonds anytime you want, but you don't get the full face value unless you wait the full time. But even that feels like, well, I could get the 100 if I waited, and there's something kind, kind of, you hate to erode the round number. So there's just this whole culture of savings bonds. And then you have to write a thank you note for this savings bond that your parents put in some drawer somewhere. And it's all not fun. So anyone take German? Do you know what the word gift means in German? Honor? <laughs> yeah, it means poison in German. So that's a kind of interesting cognate that gift should mean poison. And it's not a different word. It's not uh, what is sometimes called a false friend. I mean, it is a false friend. But it's not that it's because it seems to be a similar word but isn't. It actually is the same word. That there's something about gifts that can be unpleasant as well as pleasant. The expectation that a gift will be pleasant can sometimes add to its unpleasantness. Anyhow, this is everyone has had this experience in their own personal lives, right? Is there anyone who, for whom gifts haven't been an important part of your memories or just something that you do remember? So this is true in all cultures. 
And most is interested in why this happens. Why do people give gifts? Why do they think of gifts as a good way to interact with others? Is a gift something which represents good heartedness and generosity on the part of the giver? And if so, why, why do we live in a society in which everyone is so good and so generous and yet they're not somehow? And why is it that all societies have this attitude towards gifts? Then there's actually a famous article in economics called The Deadweight Loss of Christmas. Is this something anyone's ever heard of? So <coughs> this article, The Deadweight Loss, um, Loss of Christmas, is an article, I think it appeared about 20 years ago, which basically said Christmas is terrible. <laughs> it was written by a real Scrooge, an economist. Christmas is terrible. And the reason Christmas is terrible is that people are not spending money on stuff that they want. They're spending money for other people on stuff that those other people might very well not want, like all those Christmas sweaters. So now it's a thing to wear ugly Christmas sweaters. But the reason it's a thing is because everyone, and I'm sure this is part of your childhoods too, you get like pieces of clothing that you don't want for Christmas, you get all sorts of practical things that you don't want for Christmas, because they're not actually practical. And for you, what being practical is, is you would actually use it. And here's stuff that you wouldn't use and you don't want. So what this article basically says is it would be a lot better for people just to give each other money for Christmas, because then they could spend the money on things that they wanted to spend the money on, and that would be much more efficient if people gave each other money. So why don't people give I mean, some people do, obviously. And um, again, think about your own experience. First of all, who gives you money for Christmas? Parents. Parents. Just parents? Like, like usually family or like yeah. grandparents. Yeah. How many people, I would say it's more grandparents than parents. Um, how many people think it's more grandparents and parents? And how many people think it's more parents and grandparents and equal? OK. <laughs> how many people never got money for a present? Any kind of present? What about birthday? No? You just get savings bonds. <laughs> OK. Um, <coughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. Turkey, you always get large amounts of money during religious holidays if you kiss an elder's hand. Yeah. So who, and who gives you the money? The elder. The elder whose hand you kiss yes. gives you money. So an elder in your family? Yes, but yeah, I'd like you, if you can get away with it, even if they're a family friend, then you can kiss their hand and get lots of money. What happens if you kiss the same hand twice? Is it not yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so, so when elders come over to your house, they have to bring lots of money? Well, yeah, enough to make a child happy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's just, uh, it feels like tons of money. So it's like J.P. Morgan scattering yeah. dimes. Like my sister would actually, like, she's set up a savings account by the time she was 18. She had, she just never spent her, like, in she. Just on the money that the elders yeah. gave her? Yeah. And how much did it come to, do you remember? It was a significant, she actually bought dollars with it, and she had, like, a really significant, I mean, it was not. So it's slightly competitive, and you can see how much is being given. And then you know, sort of, my sister would go, ooh, you know, sort of. Just. 
She lent it to you. She Interesting. So you didn't kiss her hand. No, but I, I would spend my money and then she would, I'd be without money. But anyway, so it's a. Uh, yeah. But it, it's a thing and, and it's competitive and, and it, the amounts are not, they're, obviously they're not going to hurt anyone. Yeah. But it, they're not trifles either. Yeah. All right, so, but if you think about it in general, so the, this article, The Deadweight Lost Christmas, basically says um, people should give money. So what if everyone gave money? What would happen? We're just handing money around. Yeah, it would be... If you give me $50, and I give you $50, then it's kind of pointless and weird. <laughs> it's kind of pointless and weird. Yeah, that's exactly what it would be, is that there would be pure circulation of money without the money being doing anything, not circulation through purchase, but circulation through gift. So I give you 50, you give me 50, we're back where we started. The, um, it's like re-gifting wine, which is, uh, this actually once happened to me, which is uh, we brought some wine to someone's house for dinner, and then the next day we were, invite, we were all invited to dinner at someone else's house, but they didn't know we were coming, so they brought the wine that we brought them. And it would have been great if we hadn't been invited to that dinner, but if instead they'd been invited to someone else's house for dinner and brought them the wine, and then we'd invited those other people to dinner, and they brought our wine back to us. That would have been really interesting, and how I should have told the story, but I wanted to tell the truth. So circulation of money would be pure circulation with no point to it. The money would be nothing except an exchange of money. So the point about exchanging gifts is that, for one thing, the gifts are to some extent pegged to the person who's getting the gift. That is, they're, they're aimed at what the person seems to want or need or should want or should need. So that the exchange of gifts is, you all know the famous O. Henry story, the gift of the, Mag of the, of the Magi? How does the story go? There's like a poor couple, and Christmas is approaching, and so I think the girl has like really long hair yeah. that she takes a lot of care of, she's really proud of, and the guy has, I think he has a watch. Right, um, with no chain. Yeah, like a pocket watch. And then what happens is that the girl decides to cut her hair, her hair and sell it. To a wig maker. Exactly. It's not that weird. Yeah. yeah. And then... She does that in order so she can buy like a silver chain for the for the husband's watch. And then the husband sells the watch so he can buy like an ivory comb, I think, mm -hmm. for his yeah. wife. And yeah, so they gave it to each other and it turns out they gave useless gifts to each other. But they're happy at the end. Yeah. So that's a really good story about gift giving, which is that each sacrifices a lot to give the other something that the other could really use and would be grateful for and doesn't need, but would be, it would be a luxury in a world of need. And that's partly the idea of a gift, is that it's a luxury within a world of need. The, there's a famous sentiment and line in a Henry James novel, but it's a more general idea, which is that you will often spend more for a gift for someone else than you would spend on that actual object for yourself. And that's the idea of gift shops. The gift shops are selling things on the whole 
that no one would buy for themselves because it's not worth the money, because these are trinkets or trifles that you always have better things to do with your money than to buy. But if you buy the gift for someone else, you're precisely buying them something that they would never spend their money on. And that's a good thing because it's a thing that you think that, that will give them pleasure, but you think that they aren't ranking their own pleasure in this object high enough to buy it themselves, just as you wouldn't buy it for yourself. So the gift of the Magi is, is a version of that. That is that what you get are two people each buying a luxury for the other that they generally can't afford, and each sacrificing in order to buy a luxury for the other. And it turns out that the things that they buy for each other, they can't be used anymore because they have given up the thing that will close the circuit for the luxury. And But the realization then is that they love each other. That is, it's not... It's, it's got no Henry twist. Oh, Henry's stories always end with a twist. It's got an oh, Henry twist at the end. But it's a story with a happy ending, even with the twist, because the happy ending is each sees how much the other loves them. And it's, it's lovely for that reason, and it makes it a warm and happy Christmas. So that idea that you would spend more for someone else than you would for yourself. That's one of the things that Mose is seeing in gift giving. And Mose is interested, and that, that's what gets called the deadweight loss of Christmas, that if you would never buy a comb, it's because you have better things to do with that money. If you would never buy a watch, a, a watch chain, it's because you have better things to do with that money. But in fact, what buying someone a comb or buying someone a watch chain does is to also show them the love that you have for them. That's why, you know, the rule of when you give a gift, what are you supposed to do? Make sure you do before you give it? Take the, Take the price tag off. Because the whole point is you're not showing them that this has monetary value. You're showing them that it has use value. And the use value here is luxurious use. Luxury is use also. Don't think that because it's a luxury, it doesn't have use value. It does. It has use value as a luxury. So you're saying, I'm giving this to you because it has use value. But then there's something interesting about taking the price off also, which is that there are two ways. What would a cynic say about why you took the price off? Yeah, yeah. I was very disappointed. My grandmother, may she rest in peace, once when she gave me a book, and she had no idea what books I liked. But she gave me this book, and I had seen it the day before on a remainder table, and it was like 98 cents. And of course, she'd taken off the price, and I couldn't believe that she did that. So other than that, she was a saint. But this one little thing she did, this one little trick, was um, very disappointing. Not that I remember it all these decades later, but it was very disappointing. So, but generally the idea is the cynical view, you took the price off because you didn't want me to see how cheap it was. The more generous view and the one that is supposed to be true is that you take the price off because you don't want the other person to see how expensive the item was. That the whole point is that the money is not the issue, the item is the issue. And you're not advertising its cost, you are, you are, you are 
advertising the fact that you're not advertising its cost because it's a gift made out of love rather than a gift made out of money. So some version of this is true in all societies. And the version that Mose is most interested in, he's, he, what Mose was an armchair anthropologist. He didn't actually do field work. What he did was he read field work from all over the world, and he put stuff together that no one had put together before. And one of the things that he was most fascinated with was the Pacific Northwest potlatch. So does anyone know what a potlatch is? Jimmy? Oh, <laughs> it was yeah, it was like this dinner they had. So what a potlatch is, in the Pacific Northwest, they would have these tremendous feasts where they would essentially be burning through huge amounts of value of wealth, of of valuable things, of furs, of food, of fish, and things of very, very great value. And they would destroy these things. This is one of the things that, did people read the short Bataille essay, The Notion of Expenditure, which is based on Mose? And which, so if you, if, <laughs> if you didn't read it, just stay silent. Uh-huh. Okay. It's seven pages long, guys. There is a midterm coming. So Bataille, who's one of the great French writers of fiction of the 20th century was fascinated by Mose's book and he wrote this very short essay in the 30s called The Notion of Expenditure which he then expanded into a book called The Cursed Part which he published after World War II it published in the late 40s and he was fascinated by Mose and fascinated by the idea of gift giving which for Mose, and then the part that Bataille is getting out of Mose, is an idea of wasting money. That's what the deadweight loss of Christmas is also saying, except what that article is saying is that it's a waste of money and you shouldn't do it. What Mose and Bataille are saying, um, Bataille even more than most, is that the fact that it's a waste of wealth is a feature and not a bug that it's really important that it's a waste, that people, that the definition of a gift is to give away more than you get. So the wastefulness of gift giving is the, is the wastefulness that most and Bataille are very, very interested in. So the potlatch brings that wastefulness to its absolute culmination because in potlatch festivals, those who would be gift givers in most societies, in potlatches, what they do is they destroy wealth. They throw wealth into the ocean. They burn it. So for most, this may seem like the opposite of a gift. That is that if you give someone a gift, you're taking something valuable and giving it to them at, at your own cost. What the potlatch is, is it has the cost part you are doing something which is leaving you less wealthy than you were before. You are absorbing the cost of giving up something and not getting a return for what you're giving up. You're absorbing that cost, but you're not 
giving that gift to anyone else. Instead, what you're doing is destroying it. And so for most, that's sort of the logical culmination of the inequality that occurs in gift giving. So the inequality is that I have something which I give to you for free, which means that there hasn't been, let's just say, in, in, um, in its most basic way in leaving out some, re some remuneration, I give something that I give to you and I come out poorer because I've given it to you. So I now have less. Even if we exchange gifts, if I'm the parent, I now have less than I had before, and you have more than you had before, even if you did draw me a really nice picture of um, how I was baking cookies the night before, and I really like that picture. So I have less than I had before. You have an Xbox. I have this picture. And you have more than you had before. So there's an inequality. The logical cul culmination of this inequality is that I have less than I had before, and you do also. So if you think of gift giving as everyone gives something up, I have less than I had before, but you don't get it, so you don't have any more than you had before. So it's one side of gift giving. It's simply the I have less part. Mose says this is gift giving, that this destructiveness Missionaries um, outlawed the potlatch. It's something that happened in the Pacific Northwest, which is that when white Christian mis missionaries and white Christian colonists came to the Pacific Northwest, they were shocked and horrified by the potlatch, and they outlawed it. And the result, it had, from their point of view, a mixed result, which is that the Pacific Northwest, the Quaker Utile and the Klingit um, Native, Native Americans started celebrating Christmas with a vengeance. And it became clear very quickly to the Christians that they weren't really celebrating Christmas. They were doing potlatches and calling them Christmas and having giant feasts and, and um, partying like it, was, like it was 1899. And the, so they had to figure out ways of outlawing Christmas or making sure that Christmas didn't get out of hand. It's, really, it's a really interesting contact of cultures, but partly what the Pacific Northwest Native Americans understood was that Christmas, the way the whites were celebrating Christmas, was itself a kind of potlatch, only the whites weren't recognizing that. And, and the white missionaries didn't want to recognize that. So it was all, it was all historically and sociologically really interesting. But the basic idea is this, that when you give a gift, you expect that the person to whom you gave the gift will reciprocate, will give you a gift back. And when this happens between equals, there are two general rules that occur within almost all cultures. One, that you don't, if you get a gift from someone, you don't reciprocate right away. To reciprocate too soon is to show ingratitude. If someone gives you a gift and you feel that you have to match it as soon as you possibly can, what you are indicating by doing that is something rude. 
and the rudeness is like the rudeness of insisting on paying them for the gift. Someone gives you a gift out of the generosity of their heart, and you say, oh my God, this is so beautiful, I have to pay you for it. No, I insist, you must take money, I will not take this from you. That's rude. So it's less rude, but still rude, to immediately go and get them something which is of equivalent value to what they just gave you. So one of the general rules worldwide for gift giving is if someone gives you a gift, you have to be grateful for it and not reciprocate right away. But the other rule is, but you do have to reciprocate eventually. And what that means is that if someone gives you a gift and you just say thank you and just go away and never do anything nice for them, you behave very rudely. So if you treat the gift as something that you have to pay for immediately, you're behaving rudely. If you treat the gift as something that you don't have to ever reciprocate, you're, paying, you're being rude as well. So what happens in most cultures is that people give gifts, and this is why birthday gifts are so interesting, because they put in the time delay that is generally necessary for a gift. If someone gives you something on your birthday, then you, in a sense, owe them a gift, but you owe them a gift that you shouldn't pay back right away, because that would be rude, but that you should pay back. And if you wait till their birthday, then you have a natural period for how long you should be owing them that gift and when you should pay them back. And so that idea, which most finds everywhere in, in all the field work that he reads, is that you give a gift or you get a gift and you wait until you give a gift back to the person who's giving you the gift but you eventually do give them a gift back. So gift exchange, that very phrase, which seems like an oxymoron, the exchange of gifts. If it's an exchange, it's not a gift. If it's a gift, it's not an exchange. Gift exchange occurs over time and should. Christmas is kind of an exception to this rule, but Christmas is also more about um, one generation giving gifts to another generation, giving the real gifts to another generation. But the basic idea is if you're, if you're exchanging gifts with your peers, you do it on birthdays. And that way there's always a time delay. And the time delay can be anything from 1 to 364 days. But of course that means that it's the opposite of that. It's the complement of that from the other point of view, from the other side. So that then means that for a while you owe someone a gift because they gave you a gift on your birthday. For a while you owe someone a gift, but then eventually you give them a gift back. But now they owe you a gift. Because it's a gift, when you give them the gift back on their birthday, you're not saying, now we're even, no more birthday gifts. What you're basically saying is now we're in a kind of slinky relationship, a slinky going down the stairs relationship, which is you gave me a gift which started the slinky going. I give you a gift. Do you guys know slinkies? They're, I think they're video games where you can play with them. So, oh, that was a joke. Yes. Okay. So 
you gave me a gift, now I give you a gift. That doesn't stop the slinky, it just means the slinky goes to the next stair. So the year after you give me a gift, and then, the, then on your next birthday I give you a gift, and this keeps going on till we die, till one of us dies. So ideally that's what, hap- what would happen, is that gift exchange puts people into a relationship of deferred obligation. I owe you a gift, but I don't think of it that way. It's not, oh my God, I owe you a gift. I can hardly wait till it's your birthday so I can get rid of this terrible debt. It's rather, you gave me a gift, and when it's your birthday, I will give you a gift. And that is treating each other as friends, treating each other right, treating each other the way people should be treated. So the idea then is a gift is in fact for most like a loan, which is the value of the gift is like a loan, which is owed by the recipient to the giver, but it's a loan that goes back and forth. So now it's not that people are handing each other money, it's that people are in a relationship to each other in which one person owes the other person something. And it's not oppressive, although it can be oppressive, but on the face of it, it's not a contract. It's not that people will take you to court if you don't give them a gift. It's not that there's some legal requirement, but it's that there's a bond between you not the Shylock kind of bond, which is the legal bond, but a bond of friendship, which is the bond in The Merchant of Venice. It's the bond of marriage. So there's a legal bond, and then there is a metaphorical bond, which is the bond of friendship or the bond of love. And so metaphorically, it is a bond. It means you do owe something to someone. That's what Portia means when she has that great and famous speech, then must the Jew be merciful. That is that he has to be merciful, not because it's legally required, but because it is a human demand on his humanity. And that's what gifts are, are their demands on your humanity. Psychologically, that's what they are. But most goes further to say that what happens in most societies, especially among the (coughs) elders, is you get a kind of gift relationship. The Godfather actually is a really good movie about this. But you get a kind of gift relationship where there is a master gift giver. And the person who gives the biggest gifts is the person who's most powerful. And it's not because they're most powerful they give the biggest gifts, which is what it looks like. I'm the richest, I have the most money, therefore I give the biggest gifts, it's only fair. But the other way around, which is the person who gives the biggest gifts is claiming to be the most powerful person, the richest person, the wealthiest, the the person with most means, most access to the wealth that the world produces. And therefore, giving gifts is a way of signaling status 
So in American sociology, this is known sometimes as conspicuous consumption. So people who light cigars with $50 bills, for most that's actually gift giving. That is, you, you all know this, the, um, you get a cigar, you get a $50 bill, you light the bill on fire, the cocaine burns up too, and you light your cigar with this burning $50 bill. And what you're doing is you're saying, I'm so wealthy, I don't give a shit about a $50 bill. This grant has history and I don't care. And what you're doing is you're showing how wealthy you are, that is how much access, how much command you have over the resources of the universe, that $50 is nothing to you. Now, a better way to show that it's nothing is to give it to someone, to give it to someone poor. But what you're doing is you're expressing a kind of scorn for wealth itself. By an, and that scorn becomes an announcement of wealth. So scorning wealth announces wealth. There are poor people who can scorn wealth, and then they're announcing a different kind of wealth, which is a non-neediness, a spiritual wealth, let's say. But when rich people scorn wealth and conspicuously scorn wealth, what they're doing, and this is Veblen's famous phrase, Thorsten Veblen's famous phrase, conspicuous consumption, is what they're doing is they are showing their wealth by showing that they don't care that they're wealthy. And so wealth there is buying status. And the status is the status of someone who's so wealthy they don't care that they're wealthy. And there are very few people who are so wealthy that they don't care about money. It's almost a contradiction in terms. But conspicuous consumption is an, is an announcement of that. So that's one of the things that Mose is interested in, and he sees the potlatch, that is the, the absolute destruction of wealth, as an example of conspicuous consumption. So two things are happening here then. One is that gift-giving is being really read as conspicuous consumption. You give someone a gift to show that you can afford to give them that gift. But the other is the conspicuous consumption is being seen as a form of gift giving. That is, the question is, which is the real phenomenon and which is the strange manifestation of that phenomenon? So you could say that gift giving is always a form of conspicuous consumption, that by giving some, someone a Maserati or a diamond necklace, you're showing how wealthy you are and basically saying they should marry you or they should work for you or they should um, suck up to you. So that's one idea. The other idea is the reverse. And this is what happens in the potlatch. That conspicuous consumption is actually a way of saying, here's this tremendous wealth that if I gave you, you would owe me so much that it would be wrong for me to give it to you. And so what I want to do instead is destroy it in order to show you that I'm not putting you under an obligation to owe me anything. And that's the way it's thought of by a lot of people. That is that not giving the gift but destroying it instead is a way of not, is giving a kind of meta-gift. And the meta-gift 
is the gift of not giving someone a gift. And that may not matter to you if you're poor. You may prefer the gift, and <laughs> you, 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 won't, you wouldn't mind it. But the meta gift, if you're not poor, it's a way of leaving people out of obligations, of saying you don't have to owe me anything. You're completely free to do what you want. And this will happen in anger as well. I mean, there, there is a kind of angry mode that we have, which is something like do, do whatever, the, whatever the hell you want. You don't owe me anything. But we mean it when we say that. So the idea is that there's a kind of owing that people have to each other that gift-giving materializes and that binds people together and is what makes societies possible. That's why it's an anthropological universal, that if people in a society are giving each other gifts, if there is an intertwined braiding of gift-giving, then people owe gratitude towards each other, feel gratitude towards each other, and it doesn't have to be one way because when it's your birthday, then you'll feel gratitude towards me. And now it's my birthday again and I feel gratitude towards you, and that tightens, that makes us tighter. And that brings societies together and makes societies tighter. So quick moral of this is that most concludes that the general view of how economies developed, which is that barter gave way to money, which allowed for the possibility of lending money at interest, gets things reversed. And that what starts first is gift giving, not barter but someone giving something to someone else that they then owe to the person they got it from. They owe equivalent value. And gift giving quickly becomes competitive in most societies, so people will try to give better gifts than the ones they got after they wait for a while. So you give me a $50 gift, and six months later it's my birthday, and I give you a $55 gift, and what I've just done is paid you your gift back with 10% simple interest. So then six months later, you give me a $60 gift, and you've paid it back again with interest. And so for most, exchange with interest is the first kind of exchange there is. Interest is there from the get-go. Okay. Um, Finish the mandible if you haven't, and read the Zimmel and the Adam Smith as well. And I will send out a little bit of Kant, but it's not very much. Okay.